welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast, Season 2. With your host, Byron Rogers, this podcast is dedicated to the Executive Protection Practitioner, the Private Security Professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective Executive Protection Agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect her children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family, I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, enjoy the show. Out. Boom. What's up, y'all? Byron Rogers here, and I'm coming to you with Craig Douglas today. How you doing, sir? Good, sir. How are you? Doing fantastic. We're doing a little, uh, little podcast under quarantine today. <laughs> I was gonna say there's there there are worse ways to spend time sheltering in place. So uh, this is this is time well spent. So thanks for having me on. Thanks for introducing me to your audience. Absolutely, it's an honor. Um, I, you know, I first no- noticed some of your stuff on social media, and I felt like you were really. Um, it's kind of a it's a space that I'm not of a lot of guys. I don't see a lot of guys do well. You know all the stuff training you know five feet and in you know what to right. do if something like that happens absolutely absolutely so, yeah so it's kind of one of those things where i was like man i i've got to catch up with this gentleman and yeah. then um mike panone spoke really highly of you as well very very good friend of mine very good friend of mine like mike a lot we've known each other for 20 years we uh we did some gigs before either one of us were on the internet, before there was any social media. So Mike and I have known each other for a long time. Outstanding. So yeah, it's an honor to be able to be able to even hang with y'all. Um, so yeah, we get right into it. Uh, the first question, and maybe it's my psychology background, I always like to try to find out who the man is behind the work. Okay. Yeah, that's the game. Who are you? Absolutely. Who are you at your core? Who am I at my core? I think uh, I'm a uh, I'm a teacher and I am an adaptation. So I spent a lot of time in my law enforcement career uh, doing undercover work, and I spent a lot of time working solo and spent a lot of time teaching uh, people, even while I was doing that. And it gave me some pretty unique insight on on limited resources extraordinary and novel circumstance and forced me to be an, an, an adaptive thinker. So that's why I like to think of myself as an, as an adaptation. I'm, I'm very good at adapting in the moment, whether that's uh, a problem student who comes to me with a scenario or a problem I've never seen before, like a, you know, uh, a kid in a wheelchair that wants to learn uh, entangled shooting. You know, and he doesn't have the same mobility issues and, and you know, it, it's a completely different thing for him or uh, what is a solo structure movement in a crack house look like with an informant when a dope buy goes bad and you kind of got to work your way out of a bathroom after a barricade. So I, I've been in a lot of novel circumstances and it's forced me to adapt. So adaptability is probably my strongest suit. That's outstanding. I um, I feel like that's a certain 
type of intelligence all into its own kind of a. I think it is. I think it is. And I'm certainly not the smartest guy in the room, but um, I, I'm a lot of times I've been the quickest. So I've seen the, I've, I've seen the solution faster than others. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's that fluid intelligence. You sure. know, I spend a lot of my life uh, dealing with a lot of the kind of crystallizing, you know, you go through school and you, you, you really try, you learn to value crystallized intelligence, you know, what kind of information could you regurgitate on the test, you know, uh, and you, you grade yourself based on this rubric that's given to you. Um, right. But as I've moved out into life and then the Marine Corps and, you know, some entrepreneurial endeavors I've learned, man, that fluid intelligence and being able to make connections where there aren't any uh, seems to be, I don't know, I kind of prefer it a lot of time. <laughs> and, and I think you only learn stuff like that, Byron, through through experience. And I think that's the difference between a, a school education and an, and, and an experiential learning, whether that's good, bad, or indifferent, but, but circumstances and environments force you to adapt and bend and mold a certain way. And, and if you came up strictly with, with an orthodox educational background, you just simply don't have that, that ability. So yeah, I, I think, again, it's one of those metrics of experience because these days, you know, there are a lot of guys teaching that don't have experience. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, you know, but when you look at what's the value, how do you quantify experience? I think that's exactly one of those things. That's, you know, that's, that's where you start seeing that kind of thing come into play. 100%. And you touched on something uh, that I've been trying to understand for a little bit here is, which is the, uh, you know, the instructor that doesn't have experience, you know, I feel like you can still do some awesome things by all means, but I, I see a phenomenon where I see guys that are just really good at marketing, you know, sometimes, you know, coming from a field where I'm, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'll talk about, I'm doing on a daily basis. And I see some other things out there and I'm kind of like, I mean, that briefs well, it's a good idea, but that's that, that approach. I don't know if I could, you know, and, but people fall for it because of the marketing right. aspect. Right. Right. And, and the other side of that is a guy who spent, 20 years in a legitimate um, high-risk profession, you know, whether it's law enforcement or the military or, or, or even the intelligence community, and that guy hangs a shingle out. And, you know, um, it's like, okay, and when you start talking to him about his experience or his experiences, you know, you realize maybe he didn't do 20 years. Maybe he did one year 20 times. Yeah. You know, and really, despite all that time and tenure, two decades, he really doesn't have that much experience. Yeah. So I, I think it, it's I think it's tough for, for the prospective student these days or agency or, or group who, who are looking for training. I think it's tougher than ever in a lot of ways to separate wheat from chaff. But I think with outlets like this, uh, it, it, it's still in at least on the closed side of the house. It's still very much the good dude barometer. You know, oh, yeah. when a guy's looking at someone perspective to come in and do training, they usually go to someone they know it's it, it, especially, you know, um, in, in closed coursework and gov, there, there's a pretty small network. And usually when you hear from a guy who's vetted, yeah, he's a good dude. That's enough right there. And that's what we call a good dude barometer. That's know, awesome. To, to vouch off on that guy. But it's still very much word of mouth. But, you know, with, with more people that have hung shingles out than ever, it, it can be hard for especially the average person. Right. 
I, I think what we're seeing right now with this, you know, uh, shelter in place, all of a sudden things may not be, you know, the way they used to be. We see a lot of new new gun buyers. Oh yeah. I think I think you're going to see when when we're able to kind of get out and the ranges open back up. I think you're going to see a, an entirely new demographic getting into guns specifically for self defense, not hunting. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. And um, again, the the opportunities for for good guys to have business and for charlatans to have business mm-hmm. wide open. So I think it's, I, I think I think venues like this. And formats like this allow people to sit down with somebody like me, mm-hmm. whether we're full of shit or not. Does this guy sound plausible? Does this guy sound actually like like he knows what he's talking about? You know, is his content good? But he's a dick. You know, <laughs> but is, is, is he likable? But his content kind of sucks. Yeah, does him and his content suck, or do I like him and his content? You know, so yeah, I mean, yeah. you can figure out all that stuff. I think in a good um a good long format podcast like this, you know. Heck yeah. You mentioned a couple of things. The uh, the good dude barometer, we call that good dude cred in my industry. It's like, yo, they'll tell you everything. I'm like, yeah, he's Navy SEAL, MacGyver's cousin and all this. And I'm like, he's a good dude. When they right. say he's a good dude. All right, cool. Exactly. Get him on the team. Exactly. Either that or they say when you say, hey, do you know that? Do you, do you know John Smith? Yeah, I yeah. know him. When you just yeah. hear <laughs> when you just hear, yeah, I know him versus, yeah, he's a good dude. Yeah. That tells right. you right there. It's like, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> exactly. Well, God bless him. We just look around. We'll look around a little longer. Exactly. Um, that's good to go. Now I dig that. And everything you're saying about the training kind of environment that we might see after this. I mean, I don't know if it's wishful thinking, but maybe some Americans are widening their understanding about like the importance of having firearms, and being able to protect yourself and your family. I'm hoping. I don't know. I, I think that's absolutely the case. My cousin. Uh, who who works in the IT to IT business? She she's very successful, half million dollars a year. Um, very you know woke, uh-huh. very on the left side of the political spectrum. Hates guns. Okay. Finally goes to her father, my uncle, and says, "Hey, uh, we might need a gun." And, uh, <laughs> and it, I mean, it took that to. You know, and, and I'm trying, and I'm trying to be a good dude about it. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to go. I told you, you know, I'm right, trying right. to try not to do all that, and try to be supportive. And be, well, mm-hmm. I'm glad you came over to the other side. You know, at least in that regard. But uh, still, in all, I think, I, dude, I, I think a lot of people. I mean, I'm seeing videos right now of like gun stores in uh, Connecticut with with lines. Yeah. You know, and, and people also seeing things like I didn't realize I couldn't just walk in here and have a and, and walk out with a gun in a, in a lot of states where they do have a waiting. Oh, yeah. Certainly not here in the deep south, you know, but in a lot of places. Yeah, you got to wait three, five, seven days for a gun. So they're, they're Yeah. A lot of misconceptions, I think, have been uh, aligned and we'll see what happens to We will It'll be interesting. It will be good to go. I uh so yeah, uh, how did you get into doing what you're doing? Actually, back on track. Here. Ooh, well, um, interesting. I've been a martial artist my entire life. I'm uh, 52 years old. I'm retired from law enforcement. Did a 21 year career. The vast majority of that was spent as a narcotics agent, a SWAT cop, or both simultaneously. Um, I started into a two year undercover stint in 1996 as a pretty 
I fought well-trained martial artists and, and tactician. And I had a shooting at that point uh, as a Leo and, and thought it was pretty well squared away. And as it turned out, there were some things that, that, that happened in that two-year time period. Um, I really was not prepared for what I was doing, how I was expected to do it. And, and I had no training modality for when things went badly in the environments I was working in. So I had to kind of throw away everything that I had been heavily invested in and start from scratch. And this was probably about the time that the UFC is about five years old. And if we remember what the UFC looked like back then, at least in America, we didn't even use the language MMA to describe what was happening. You know, we used words like Valley Tudo, no holds barred. And, and the event itself and the contest was kind of primitive. I mean, it looked like Dr. Hans Island, you know, it looked like you know, yeah. the dudes in weird geese. They wear whatever they want, you know. Uniforms, <laughs> blue jeans and stuff like that. But, but here's like Street Fighter, the video it, game. Yeah, it was. It was like Street Fighter. But, but what we saw for really the first time, and it kind of turned the martial arts world on its head, was pretty empirically repetitive patterns of success and failure. I thought that was an interesting model to examine some of the problems that I had run into as an undercover officer in locally with a group of um, motivated police officers and guys who were willing to risk injury. We, we took a mishmash of training equipment, uh, fist helmets and, and training knives and Glock 17 T's and simunitions and put all that stuff together and kind of went at each other full contact and created a local fight club and used all that gear well past the manufacturer's recommended guidelines for use. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can, you can certainly have a, we can certainly have a discussion about whether that was a good idea. Okay. Okay. But <laughs> here, here's what it kind of did. It, it created for me, at least a body of work, and what eventually became a strategy template that previously had not been available to people like me. And, and there may very well have been some garage groups uh, like us that were, that were experimenting and trying to figure out their own truth. But it, again, it, it wasn't readily available. And then through happenstance, I had a guy in interacting on the internet by the name of Paul Gomez that I befriended who thought that what I was doing and, and the way I figured out what I've come to think of as an, as an entangled gunfight, what that looked like, uh, what it took to put that together, creating the training modality and, and the strategy template for how to do this. Um, he thought that was something that had not been done before. So he, and I didn't know anything about open enrollment coursework. I'd been a police trainer and an academy instructor for a long, long time up until that point. Since literally I came on the job about 1992, I came on in 90 after a three year stint in the army. Um, but he set up some open enrollment classes for me and it like wildfire. And it, it, it was never, and the reason I took it I, too, this is, this is another funny story. There was, there was never any intention to do any of this stuff or have or, or make this a second career after law enforcement. I was uh, I was I was working. I was the assistant commander of our local narcotics task force, and we, we were just getting beat up on methamphetamine at the time. This is two thousand, and um, I was not making the overtime that I needed to make 
to give my first wife the wedding that she wanted. Mm. And I was bitching to Paul on the phone about lack of money, lack of funds, so on mm-hmm. and so forth. And, and he seized the moment and, and offered to set these classes up for me. And I had kind of avoided that for a while. He'd been badgering me for probably about a year and a half, two years to hang a shame a while. And I was like, man, nah. working on you. But yeah. I just, I, I, I didn't care. I was busy. I was busy. Okay. <laughs> you got stuff going on right now. Yeah, I was, I was, I was busy. I, I, was, I mean, they were getting our ass kicked yeah. by, by these scumbags. We need to clean shit up. I mean, that okay. was, we were. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Paul set that up, man. And it just, it, and people were very taken with it. Um, the training became, and how to do the training became more refined. So the first ECQC I did was 2004. And wow. the first, the first open enrollment class I did was 2003. That was actually a knife class in California. Um, Cause there, there are a couple of different parts of this. There's the knife design, the video part, there's the gun training part, and they all kind of converged in this weird bell shaped curve to create now what's thought of as ShivWorks and ShivWorks products group. Um, and there was no marketing plan or anything like that. It, it, everything leading up to this point has been super organic. Um, I, I, my business model is kind of the same way I bought drugs. I mean, I I use my gut, you know, if it feels right, I do it. If it doesn't, I don't. And and that has served me very well. Um, I made a couple of missteps, but nothing, nothing major. But anyway, so that, yes, that's what led up to it. Now, uh, I'm on the road <clears throat> about 42 weeks out of the year. I teach in 43 states in the U.S., 11 countries outside of the U.S. I've done training and been brought into four branches of the U.S. military, five federal agencies, and I have a standing recurring contract with a small segment of the intelligence community. So um, I stay pretty busy. Heck, yeah. And... We're going to have you on the Protector Symposium this year. That's yeah, one thing yeah, we're looking forward to. So we're going to all be able to dig in and learn a little bit more, make some good people more dangerous. Um, man, so that's like, that's a lifetime. I mean, for me, I mean, you're talking about the 90s and stuff like that. For me, that's yeah, almost a lifetime of being in this game. I know. That's I know. amazing. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You, know, you mentioned the Marine Corps. I spent quite a bit sure. of time on the West Coast with the Marine Corps guy. Uh, by the name of Ryan Jeschke, back when uh, they were the MSAW versus the Raider Battalion. He came and trained with me three or four times in um, in, in Los Angeles. And then I said, hey, do you have a rifle team-based version of ECQC? Yeah. yeah, I do. Well, we'd like you to come up and, you know, work with our guys. So he uh, he brought – he was the guy that got me into the MSAW, and I did three MSOCs, three – Marine Special Operations Companies at the time, and that was most of the battalion. So I, I have strong ties. Even to this day, I have strong ties with a lot of West Coast Marines. And it's funny because I've had some of those guys filter into my other programs within the Gov that I met on active duty back around 20, 2009, 2010. You know, so yeah, good guys, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's good to go. I I've just been. I've been fascinated, I mean, by, you know, the ShivWorks stuff, because I feel like if there is an engagement, you know, the more distance you have, kind of the more, there's chance in all of it. But when it's in close, 
it's just so unforgiving. <laughs> you know I mean, this is when you really need the tools, I feel like. Absolutely. Well, and it's 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 interesting, too, because as the war shifted and, you know, guys are, are doing more low visibility stuff and, you know, everybody in the military has that kind of pseudo Jason Bourne dude they're trying to create, but they don't really have a pipeline for doing that. So if you look at what the Army's doing, look at what the Marine Corps is doing, you look at what the Navy's doing, it's it's really weird and disparate. And they, they know that this piece of it is important, but where does it fit? How does it go? Is it, is it combatives? Is it shooting? Is it trade craft? Yeah. You know, it, it's all of it. And that, that's, how do we that, get it all that's the, it into one thing? Exactly. And that's the other part about what I consider interdisciplinary training, interdisciplinary tactical training. It, it's hard to put a label on, you know, and, and this especially, gets weird when we start talking about funding. Okay. So it's like, well, who pays for it? Does, you know, uh, does it come out of the firearms side of the house? Does it come out of the tactics side of the house? Does it come out of the professional development side of the house? Where does it, where does it, where does it come from? So it, it's still, and I think I was the first guy to get on the road with a box of Glock 17 T's and some that, that I had gray marketed you know, and, and started, you know, kind of letting people, all right, this is what we do. Try it. And, and seeing what happens before some even had a civ program. There was no, uh, there was no UTM back then. There was simulation and code Eagle, you know? Okay. So there, there, even the marking cartridges, the equipment, I think that's one of the reasons I got such a head start is just, I had, I had the equipment. That was the first thing, you know, mm-hmm. and other guys just didn't have that available. And I would, you know, I would get a ton of gray market sum that came, that was gifted to me by whoever for training I'd done in lieu of payment. Yeah. So it, it, it worked out well, again, to create that, that roadshow and that body of work early on and kind of gave me the, probably the primacy that I enjoy right now mm-hmm. in, in awesome. this field. But you're right. There, there are not a lot of people doing it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still, a developing field. And one of the things I said when trying to encourage, obviously my own guys, Cecil Burge, Paul Shard, Larry Lennon, and Chris Fry, my crew, the Shivworks Collective, as we've come to be known as. Um, other guys that are newer in the field, you know, Cliff Byerly, solid dude. Um, you know, Ben with our Red Beard Combative, solid dude. Fletch Fuller, we started to see a whole bunch of, not a whole bunch, but a few, a handful of guys outside of my clique come in and, and put eyes on the same problem. And what I've said for quite some time is, look, this is going to be a, a legitimate body of work. That's not just my cult of personality. We need to have other people outside of me taking a look at it. So that's wisdom. It, it's, it's starting to catch on, you know, and Thank you. It, it's, it's taken a long time to get it where it is now. And who knows where it'll be in 20 more years, but it is moving. There's movement behind it. Yeah, that's there's evolution there. And that's wisdom, you know, pulling some other eyeballs in and being like, hey, bang this truth up, see if it holds up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's kick this thing around. You know, that's yeah, good. Absolutely. How did you get that? If you don't, I don't know if you can tell us, but how'd you get the call sign South Narc? So there's nothing to that. There was, okay. there, there's no, there's no cool story. It was, uh, we were, we were uh, playing around on internet forums. And back in the day, nobody used the real name on internet forums because of Ursec. So yeah, no, of course. everybody generally had something related to their job. And I, I, uh, 
I was I was actually in the office, you know, and one of one of the guys I was with said, "Hey, uh, what are you trying to do over there?" I told him German answer, I, and I think I was arguing with somebody on the internet, <laughs> banging the keyboard. <laughs> I, right, exactly. I was, I, my elbows were all flared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> were all flared out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I said, "Well, I got to register on this form so I can tell this guy what a fucking idiot he is." <laughs> but I have to come up with a name. I don't know what name to use. You're supposed to have some kind of cool handle. And one of the guys said, well, uh, Southmark, use that. I'm like, okay. And and it seriously, it was nothing more than that. And it became like my gnome de guerre for, you know, forever. So funny, nothing to it, but I wish I had a good sign. Like, you know, call sign like Jester or something like that. You know, an aviator would have or a cool tag guy. But no, it was uh, it was nothing more than that. It was. That's funny. You know, I thought it was cool. I was like, man, that's a cool call sign. Right. <laughs> you know, of course, I think it is. You're like, yeah, well, and most and, and in following with tradition, I, yeah. I did not give myself that call sign. You know, most people yeah. are given their call sign. It's Gotta never be. everything complimentary, right? It's never everything like. Iceman, you know, <laughs> stinky, you yep. know, or creeper or something. <laughs> something yeah, oh yeah. Right. There's all that that's how you get your call sign from your buddies. So, uh-huh. That's yeah. the truth. Uh what would you say uh was the hardest lesson you learned from the field from being out there in the streets? The hardest lesson I learned from the field uh is that it's never gonna go the way you think it is unless you actually do it. You can know it. But if you can't do it, you can't do it. And what I found was, unless I actually did it, I don't care what it was. Yeah. I really, and, and more importantly, did it where I needed to do it. So what does a car fight look like? What does a fight in a car look like? What does that feel like? We can say, well, I just, blah, Right. But 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 until right exactly, I karate my way out of it. Right, Judy Chop. You know what I'm saying? Chop my way out of it. Yeah, no. But but until you start looking at um, first of all, what does uh, fighting in a cube look like? What are the points of base and pressure that exist in that kind of space versus open space? What can you do to maximize that environment? And I've seen. Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belts come through my coursework who, when I put them in a novel environment, like a car, closed cube space, it's so novel, it's so unique that it literally turns them into maybe a blue belt, Mm. especially if somebody is familiar with the environment, how the environment works. I've I've had a BJJ black belt get crushed in a car fight by a guy who was a low purple at the time who had done several iterations of ECQC with me and knew how the car worked. He knew the rules of the environment. So one of the, one of the harshest lessons, I think, from, a, from an operational and a, and a training development and curriculum development perspective is unless you do it, unless you do the, the specific thing and the specific place that you're going to be doing it in you don't know and and that that was hammered home to me more than once in 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 a couple of different phases of my career both operationally and as a teacher teaching other people that's the biggest one that's the biggest that that we need to get 
you know, off ranges and out of mat rooms, especially when we're teaching like ECQ skill sets, that kind of thing. Yeah, that I would say that's the biggest. I mean, if I was going to be really honest from, you know, the things I experienced in Iraq to like training all the time on the range. Like there's this, like this thing in the back of my head. that's like, yo, you know, it ain't like this. Like, you know, that dude's going to be moving all over the place. <laughs> like like in the back well, of my well, head, well, I keep well, hearing this. You're going to be out of breath. Like there's just, I'm, I'm just like, man, this is so. Yeah. Or the difference feral. between a mud yeah. hut and a shoot house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Hey, this doesn't look like a shoot house. Yeah. Right. You know? Yeah. There ain't no light in here. You know, we got mud walls and trash you yeah, know, and all these weird you, just, you dry as soon as you st- as soon as you cross the threshold you drop six inches down yeah. <laughs> into the know, yeah. in, in, into a recessed floor or something like that or a hole mm-hmm. yeah. you know sucks yeah and you're ducking in these little like you know little doorways and things so yeah it's that's um you know, and I, and I do, and I don't have any like a martial artist, like uh allegiance, you know what I mean? I'm kind of one of those, like sure. the best thing at the best time, you know, get it done. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's one thing I do really appreciate about that kind of the grappling game is you can go really hard like, you can go about as hard as you can go. And that's what I think I, I haven't trained with you yet, but that's what I'm really interested in. It's like, man, what, what can you do? Like, you know, you do all this firearms training, dude, but like, can you get to your trash if you know you're if you're entangled as you that word entangled is yeah. illustrates it perfectly, you know? Yeah. Uh and that's and that's that that's it. You know, it, it's hard to it's hard to re- one of the other things I think that that really was hammered home is the importance of opposition and training. You know, we talk about within our, our group, you know, the importance of you know an opposing will. Yeah malevolent intent and freedom of action. Mm-hmm. Those three things. Some problems, man. Because <laughs> here's the thing, right? And, and those three things have to be present in training. Mm-hmm. You have to feel this guy's intention to harm you. I'm going to mess you up. up. Like, yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big it. thing. You have to feel it, which we can simulate with, first of all, we, we, that's one of the beautiful things about open enrollment training Mm-hmm. where guys don't know each other. Uh-huh. When you true. have units of people, contiguous groups of people, they know each other. There's like open safety there. Train, open enrollment training is very, very, very different. Because all of a sudden I've got 20 strangers for a weekend and that's a super different effect. Wow. The, 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 the perception of malevolent intent mm-hmm. on the part of the guy that puts the helmet on is on bottom and is getting ready to get certainly punched in the face to get his gun out. Heck yeah. That's a, that's a very different thing, right? It really, really is very, very, very different. Um, Oh yeah. Freedom of action. That's the other thing too, because here's the thing. If a guy has jujitsu and another guy has jujitsu, it's going to look like a jujitsu match. Mm-hmm. But if one guy is just a bodybuilder and the other guy's a jujitsu guy or one guy's a collie guy and the other guy mm-hmm. and they, and, and you don't really have the same style, then you have freedom of action. So all of a sudden you're going to, you're going to do weird. some weird shit you've never seen before. Right. And it's, oh, different. Yeah. it's very different. It doesn't look the same. So those, and, and of course, opposition, it's gotta be opposed. It's oh, yeah. gotta be opposed, you know, and, and it's hard to get that frequently and done well in open enrollment training for average people. It's hard yeah. to do that. 
it's hard for the I mean, and and even with people that have sun and sun guns and stuff like that, they still spend way more time on the range than they do opposed against each other. They Absolutely. Do. Yeah. So, so you got various because you have different codes, you got different social codes, you got kind of different different perception of yourself, different skill levels, you got all these differences that you'll be dealing with. And it's kind of like, how do you find like a baseline kind of task load and get them all working, you know, in conjunction with one another efficiently? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, the first bit is just finding a rhythm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Get them, get, get them to a common place, getting everybody kind of moving the same, mm. you know, wrestling and jujitsu tend to be the baselines that I, yeah. with people and then, add the specifics of weapons to, you know, that's, that's what we do. We, we create a base of and strategy for using uh, Greco-Roman wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu in a weapons-based environment, understanding that we're not using wrestling or BJJ in the modern sportive sense of how they're, they're practiced collegiately or competitively. Wow. Yeah. Have you got any feedback from like from the field from guys that have used oh, yeah. this stuff? Oh, uh, yeah, we've the the program's been like, like I said. I, this is my 18th year of doing open enrollment training, and the program's been institutionalized in a, in a couple of places. State of Oregon law enforcement uh, uses my program. Oregon Department of Public Safety teaches my program there in their academy. Uh, it's standardized at two federal agencies that do quite a bit of undercover work. And um, my program in the IC, obviously, that, that's been out there for a while. So we've, we've gotten a good bit of feedback at this point. And so far, so far, not that I'm going to quit examining the worth of what we did, but so far, uh, everything that's happened that required somebody to use that training, uh, they've all said to a man that training was easier than the event. Heck yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. That's good. That's, so far. that's the way you want training to be. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's kind of the biggest compliment you can get. You know, find out this one of the boys, one of the you know one of the guys yep. that are whoever's out there doing the work yep. really benefited from it. You know, in real yep. life. Um. Yeah, I think the private security industry. God, we should be we should be plugging stuff like this into the game for sure because you know we're in elevators, we're in vehicles we're moving in crowds all of the time people are grabbing us we're grabbing people i mean it's i don't see i think i think your business man from what i see and i've got guys in your business ronald sable one of my guys he's been in your business for in and out of your business for a long time yeah it's a name seasoned soft guy 25 year soft guy uh larry lineman does you know work for clark you know, so Larry does quite a bit of stuff in your business. And, uh, yeah, I, it's interesting to me what is prioritized in a particular field and what's not. What's very obviously dated, it's like, they're still doing that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's not just your business. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a whole bunch of different fields, you know? It's like, mm. you know, yeah. even in law enforcement, I'll, I'll, there are little pockets of law enforcement that, it's like, dude, you guys are still doing like 
Wrist locks. <laughs> <laughs> Little circle, big circle kill. You know, <laughs> you know like, yeah, well, you, yeah. it's that whole, my people perish for lack of knowledge thing. You know, I, I, I look at the, I, sometimes I look at the trainer and I look at what's going on and then I look at the recipient and I'm like, they don't know any better. They just don't, you know, so, you know, we yeah. try to educate and get good content out and, you know, gentlemen, individuals who have that background like yourself, you know, so they can really, you know, develop a palette, you know, to be able to tell the difference. Right. And a lot, you know, in a lot of places there's, man, there's institutional nourishment because there's some dude, right? He's probably, <laughs> and he's been there. He's probably my age. You know? <laughs> he hasn't been operational in a long time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, usually you can usually, you can look at this guy's fitness level. Yeah, I was wondering if you were going to say it. <laughs> You can look at this guy's fitness level. It's like, uh, I don't think you're practicing what you preach, buddy. And I'm not sure you're preaching is still the gospel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, knocking guys out like that out of commission. I've got a lot of young dudes that are like, dude, if I could just get this old fucker out, uh, we could really do some drinking. I'm like, I feel you. I, I, that's why I retired and I'm a Ronin now, bro. I, I get it. Yeah. I absolutely understand whatever I can do to make you successful. If I need to come into your agency and say all the same shit that you're telling them mm-hmm. to help you out. Cool. I will. Yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, there's, that's, it, it's amazing. That, and especially with, with information so available. Now. Yeah, absolutely. There's I mean, access. There, there was no, I mean, back in the day, we used to have to go to, a caliber press seminar to, to watch projected video on an overhead, you know, of things that were happening, you know, the old street survival seminar in the, in the, the mid nineties, that was yeah. the only way to look at video. It was. Wow. And there were, there were, there weren't that many of them, you know, Jeez. there were some famous videos, the, the Lynn Jeter video. That was a really famous video that made the, made the circuits there in the officer survival movement of the, the, the mid nineties and end of the late nineties before there was an internet, but just the, mm-hmm. just the sheer availability of information in my era, you could legitimately say, fuck man, we were just ignorant. We didn't know. And we right, didn't right. travel. We didn't travel as much, but now mm-hmm. I don't know, man, it's, it's, you have to be willfully ignorant these days, not to be able to clip on the fucking internet and actually pick up some good information. And see some quality folks out there, 100%, or socially blind because of relationships or some social equity structure or something like that, you know? <laughs> the uh, So you've got a number of different acronyms and a number of different, I would say, compartments to your system that I was looking at. Um, and so I just want to kind of go down the line here and break them down 101, like what... <laughs> What's what's what you know? So I see EQC, ECQC. Uh, so that's EQC. Sorry, I'm, I'm a little dyslexic. I'm a jock. I'm a I'm a grunt. You you're know, it. you're fine. <laughs> I've got my best so late in life. <laughs> that's, that's the acronym for uh, Extreme Close Quarter Concepts, which is kind of the flagship course. Um, that's described kind of as an overview of functional handgun skills at zero to five feet. And that that's pretty much my take from A to Z within a weekend format, short course format, what, what that looks like. You know, there's a live fire component. Um, ECQC is about, there's a, there's a four hour portion on Friday night from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. 
Saturday is usually an 11 hour day from 8 p.m. or 8 a.m. to uh, 7 p.m. Sunday's usually a 10 hour day from 8 to 6. And the longer days, it's a it's a half a day of live fire and then a half a day of taking the live fire, developing a wrestling and jiu-jitsu base, taking the live fire techniques, applying them, gradually adding pressure, moving up to more protective equipment, more pressure, and then marking cartridges and knives and things like that, and then doing that vertically and horizontally. And then seeing what that looks like. So you get um, you get three evolutions total, as I call them, in ACQC, and that's a a fight, for lack of a better term. It's the validation exercise for the day's training, and evolutions are as hard as we can safely go. Outstanding, as hard as yeah. we can safely go. I love it. That's fantastic. and I, I moderate that. So okay, that's Good to my go. job. Yeah, you know, he's the ref. What would you yeah. say is like the biggest? like eye-opening thing you hear students kind of be like, man, da 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 you know, what, what's that? How hard it is to get a gun out with a guy on top of you. How hard it is to maintain distance with somebody that won't let you. Uh-huh. And how hard it is to manage simple things that they never really thought would be that difficult, like clothes. Mm. You know, when you see guys that are wearing uh, a T-shirt and then a hoodie over that and they start fighting and, and the clothes are stretched out and guys are just attached to each other and, and the holster is pushed over to one side or the attachment breaks, that, that's, that's, that's the other thing, too. ECQC has kind of become in the industry a testing ground for gear like that. Yeah, pretty pretty much everybody knows if it'll if it'll make it through a weekend of ECQC, especially if I make everybody use the same piece of equipment. So, you know, if, if I have a holster and I want to test a particular attachment on that holster and it's sent to me by a manufacturer, I mean it's gonna get with a full class, it's gonna get a hundred fights on it. Oh yeah, quick, man. You will know by the end of that we'll, class. We'll we'll know pretty quick. We'll know pretty quick if that works or not. We will. Outstanding. So yeah. you see, okay, so that's the overview. Improv you're you're trying to get your gun into the fight under pressure right. while entangled. Yeah. Uh, good to go. So is that kind of where the the um I mean your emblem comes from, that cobra? Because it's kind of like it can yeah. entangle and then it strikes, exactly. strike like a snake. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, I had a kid, I had a kid with me as a graphic artist early on in the day that was trying to yeah. come up with, you know, uh, a logo for me. And uh he, he that's what he came up with. I was like, that's cool, you know. So yes. yeah, it, I, I thought it was apropos, you know, and it, it, yeah. it you know, causing grappling and bring somebody in close and putting a blade on them. You know, snake, the, the, the blade on, you know, the snake's tail. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, EWO. Edge weapons overview. Same exact course as ECQC, except it's with a knife, not a gun. Okay. What would you say if you're going to say kind of one principle of trying to implement a weapon, a knife at that distance, what would you say really is a consideration? So, it's still the same uh, base of Greco-Roman wrestling as far as getting to the weapon and getting the weapon out, whether it's a blade or a gun. That's the same. So that's why I say they're both the same course. Now, obviously, once the weapon's out, one's a contact weapon, one's a projectile weapon, so that's that's different, you know. The timing windows, as I call them, are significantly 
longer with a handgun than they are with a blade. You can cheat what we think of as a timing rule with a guy right on top of you as far as getting a blade out versus having to be more precise with the handgun. You don't need to be nearly as precise in your application of grappling to create a window to retrieve a weapon as you do as you do with the uh, with the handgun. The blade's a lot easier. They're, they're, they're act, there's access you can make with a blade uh, and you can get a blade out, you know, if it's set up correctly. And that's a big part of the course too is, hey, wh- what are you trying to do with a knife realistically? How does it augment other things like a handgun or a rifle, you know, if you're a mill guy? Yeah. And where does it fit in? I, I don't teach, you know, knife fighting per se. Fundamentally, the knife is a space maker. Okay. Because of everything that we carry, the knife produces the least physiological damage as far as inducing a stoppage. There's way less, we see way fewer physiological stoppages with knives than we do with, with firearms. So you got to get in there, got to give a little work, give a good bit of work. And, you know, the, the, the blade to me, gets you to a pistol or a rifle or gets you to an escape. It's, it's a way to create space, but it's, it's, it's really important, you know, in that it's set up correctly to do that. So that's, that's to me where knives fit. So my knife courses are very much get off me, stay off me. That's essentially what it's a, it's a uh, bifurcated, you know, binary objective as far as what you're trying to do. Like get off me, stay off. It's very simple. Heck yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I had, so I have a thing for karambits, but it's just cause I think they look cool. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm, not, I'm not trained in any kind of deal, which I'd love to, but yeah, I'm a working professional. Right. So I'm working yeah, on, absolutely. you know, absolutely. Um, they're cool. They are cool. They are, uh, they're, they're super specific as far as their, their method of use. And I, I teach, a, I have my preferences in blade wear and edge orientation same, and, and stuff like that. But, Basically, what I teach ELO is a, is a point-driven system that allows you to be functional with anything that has a point that protrudes from the thumb or the pinky side of your hand. So if I have a knife, if I have a screwdriver, mm-hmm. pick something up, Oconus, you know, I, I it's going to, the way I use it, it's going to be the same one. Thank you. Edge weapon. <laughs> we we just using some edge weapons. Whether we're, we're okay, I got it. I like yeah, that. And honestly, dude, more people are. Uh, you know, I tell when we talk to a lot of guys that are doing low vis stuff or whatever. O'Connor's. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'll tell them, look, pick up a screwdriver, man. Right. I mean, more people in the U.S. are killed with screwdrivers than anything than anything else with a point. Screwdrivers, screwdrivers, and ball peen hammers kill more people in the U.S. than any other anything else or, or point weapon yeah i uh was i was messing around with ed caldrone uh in one of his classes his uh weaponology classes and yeah. it was just i say it's one of the mo- courses last year that made me more dangerous than any of the other ones because he just basically was like eh, this is just some stuff you can make weapons out of and he just right. took all the stuff they learned from the prisons and the cartel and he yeah. was just like you can make weapon out of this 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 and then you start thinking a certain way and you're like man it's just you, you just see through the matrix the weapons right. all around me right it's a great skill to have it's a great lens way to think yeah lens to develop absolutely so yeah okay that's awesome i'm totally digging that um 
EWO. So that's the edge weapon application. Yeah. Uh, AMIS. AMIS or AMIS armed movement in structures. And that is my take on what an interior movement problem with a gun looks like. Okay. That may be getting away from something that may be getting to something depending on you and your context. But I teach people uh, what's traditionally a team-based problem, how to do it in your underwear with a fucking handgun. Heck yeah. Uh, and, and there's, and, and I start that off by saying, look, um, let, let me predicate the next two days with this. There's no safe way of doing this. And this entire coursework is teaching you how to suck less, but, um, suck that, less, I love that. that that's what it is. That's yeah. what it is. But that's, uh, that's what that course is. And it's a, uh, it's an airsoft or sim based course, depending on the client. I've done that open enrollment. I've done that. Uh, I did that quite a bit closed coursework for some clients in the gov. So, and it's, and it's tailored to them and what they do. But, um, yeah, so what what is what does CQB look like by yourself essentially, if you want to call it? And I, I don't use the term CQB mainly because it's not CQB. And usually in closed coursework, typically I've got a guy from the army, I've got a guy from the navy, I've got a guy from the Marine Corps. Right, right. And they all have backgrounds and doing it different ways. And and one of the ways I try and get their attention is by saying, hey, look, I understand that everybody here is a CQB god and came right. from a, a super, super vetted place. We're not doing CQB. That's why the acronym is Armed Movement in Structures. This is a different credit. And yeah. that's one way to get them from, from arguing various different. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by saying we're not doing CQB. Okay, so. I hesitate to use the language, but because because a lot of and, and a lot of guys in their attempt to teach this have said, well, it's just like CQB, except uh, there's nobody behind you and the one man's uh, by himself. It's like, uh, no, that's that's not what it is. So that's a layman's um, kind of grasping at the concepts. Well, yeah. And it's uh, it, well, it's just them doing what they did. Right. Mm-hmm. As best as they can kind of fumble along without a deep dive into it. And um that's what the problem requires there there, there's quite a bit that's different in in application the 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 strategies are similar but Mm -hmm. the the execution the tactics and the techniques are vastly different man could you point out like one difference in principle or application that's at the top of your mind well the probably one of the biggest things you hear in CQB is is the word flow. Okay. Flow. You got to flow. Yeah, there's man. No, absolutely. Got to stay in that flow. Yeah. You and your no, boys, you know where your boys no, at. There's no flow as a sink. Okay. And, and, and the movement modality is much more staccato. Okay. So what you see is a lot of creep, 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 move really fast, stop on a dime, creep, creep, move really fast, stop on a dime. The the it, it's it's far more staccato. There's no flow, uh, yeah, you know, or anything like that as a single thing. It doesn't work that way. Wow. I think so. That's one of the as far as when you look at it observably, like if you were in a shoot house, standing on the top rack, okay, and you could you could walk on the catwalk and watch what a team looks like versus a single to trying to manage the same problem. The first thing that's very observable and, and is, you know, strikes you 
It's just how they move. Wow. That and, the, and, and it's not just speed, because as a singleton, you'll move way slower than a team ever will and way faster than a team ever will, because wow. you're, you're an army of one. So that's the first stark observable difference in, wow. in the two movement modalities, team-based and singleton, in my opinion. Outstanding. No, that's very interesting. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah you know, that, that sounds real interesting. I uh, I feel like, I and mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like this is something that a lot of, um, I don't know, civilians and private guys need to understand because, well, somebody does break into your house. You might have your wife or your, your a few family members that aren't maybe the warrior of the tribe in a safe space, and then you you need to go out there, you need to clear the stinking house, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, whether you're a single mom or whoever it is, or you're the man, it's a great party is, but movement, movement. I mean, you know, I'm an old school infantry guy, okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you know, tenants are shoot, move, and communicate, right? Yep. Movement huh. is a great way to learn tactics and to develop yourself as a tactician and, and finding courses where people just learn how to move and are focused on movement without the distraction of range time, marksmanship, or gun handling, those are rare. Mm-hmm. You're starting to see a few of a few of those pop up here and there, but those are hard to find, too. And, and as far as developing you as a decision maker and a tactician, yeah. I think I think that modality is is very effective. I, I really, yeah, on the, I think that's really what sets different pedigrees of warriors apart is the quality of decisions they can make and the timing they can make those decisions. You know, that that's huge. You know, can you think it's, and do it? Especially when you purposefully inject ambiguity. Absolutely. So I, I, I'm a, in the, in the AMIS course, one of the, one of the things we work on is a problem I call a don't shoot yet. Okay. So that's a guy that <clears throat> maybe you've run into, let, let's say it's a, it's a home problem, okay? And it forces people to think outside of very, very hard, as we hear people say, lines in the sand. This is my line in the sand. If this guy's in my home, he's getting shot in the face. Red, right? yeah, line of no departure. Is, is that simple? Uh, is it though? Sounds good. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, maybe this is a, this is a, a 17-year-old kid that got a, text message with a wrong address and came through your daughter's window and she screamed and he fell through the window and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, realized he was in the wrong place and he was running out of her bedroom down the hallway. She came awake with a gun in hand and met this kid, you know, and, and when you point a gun at him, he goes, Oh Jesus Christ, sir. I'm a, I, I didn't even know. Are you, are you going to say, is the average person going to say, eh, why I'm saying you're in my house, ping, <laughs> shoot that kid in the face, right? I hope not. I mean, you know, you got to take in a lot of information. You got to make a good decision right now. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You have to take in a lot of information and you have to make a good decision. And there's a timer going. <laughs> so looking at that kid, so that, that kid <clears throat> right now, when I'm in my underwear, I got to pee. I got a gun in my hand. I heard oh, my yeah. daughter scream. That kid's a don't shoot. I might shoot that kid in a second and a half, but I've chosen for the moment not to. What now? Mm-hmm. What do I do with him? <clears throat> do I paint? 
They're holding in place. They're moving. They're telling go get the fuck out, you know, and leave how he does that, the speed that he does it, and where he does it from. Do, do I leave that to him? Or do I control his movement? Yeah, so the, getting, guys, getting guys thinking about that kind of stuff and then practicing it, whether you agree with the tactics I use or not, just getting people to think and, and manage ambiguity and learn how to make good decisions. You don't, you don't learn decision-making in PowerPoint, you know? No, you don't. You don't. And, and, and people think that you do, just like people think that you learn. But pe- people use the words awareness and mindset like they're <laughs> verbs, right? Yeah. I will aware my way out of this. I will mindset the fuck out of you, <laughs> right? And that's just not... It's not true. Not a thing. Yeah, Awareness yeah. is not a verb. Mindset is not a verb, right? Without a delivery system and tactics and techniques to uh, to carry the day. So just getting guys to think about stuff like that and and make them practice a little bit, dude. That that's that's when you start seeing the light bulbs come on and guys start actually becoming tacticians, not just shooters or automatons, you know? Yeah. And I think, I, so everybody, I think everybody could learn to think better with a gun in their hand. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it kind of circles back to what you're talking about uh, being an adaptation. That's, that's the game and passing that, you know, to your clients. And that's huge because yeah. that's like the one thing that I think really makes a difference. You know, can you make the decision in time you make, and can you keep making decisions in time? <laughs> You know, yeah. that's that, you know, that's yeah. the game. VCAS, Vehicle Combatives and Shooting Tactics. Yes, sir. VCAS. So that's my car class. And that is every, that is all of that stuff we just talked about in and around cars. Outstanding. What does that look like? Because vehicles oh. are such specific environments. <clears throat> so that is my take on a vehicle, vehicular environment. Okay. A lot of times spent in cars, a lot, a lot of, a lot of stuff fighting inside the driver's compartment. Mm-hmm. You know, not a direct experience in. So really, you know, um, yeah, that's, um, that, that's the car class. And that's a, that's as close to a gentleman's class as I do. It's, okay. it's not really a gentleman's class. It's an alumni class, but we do a lot of, uh, there's a, there's a good bit of live fire in that class that involves, pinning people and shooting across them i keep the pressure down you know because okay. it, it's more of a technical class if, if there's a class that i teach where somebody might get shot that's going to be it so i purposely okay. keep the pressure down and keep everybody's processing yeah <laughs> absolutely i take class take the pressure out absolutely gotta be more surgical what would you say you know if you were going to describe a fight in it, or if you have a story you could share with us, what would you say it's like to have to fight inside of a vehicle? Well, um, you know, if you don't know how it works, then it, it, it's horrible. And, and I had a couple of fights inside of vehicles. I lost some hearing in this ear uh, from a round that discharged right, purposely, inadvertently, uh, who knows? I mean, but um you know, it, it very very close to my head in a in a driver's compartment. So uh, wow. and I didn't really have any solutions. That's kind of what 
the that's kind of what came where the clinch fit came from the the blade that kind of i'm known for that chivalrous knife that um came out of that that car fight i was pinned into the b pillar wedged in Mm. and couldn't access anything and had a lot of pressure on top of me uh and and his gun had already gone off fighting over this pistols a cracker about the only thing i could have done was gotten my hand maybe to my waist okay and moved my hips so that's what that's what brought about the design of the clinch pick that that came from a very specific event in my undercover career so um but but a car fight is um, it's hard to replicate the sense of urgency in that kind of fight in open space. Wow. You have to do it in a car. You you can't simulate that in a mat. You can't even simulate that in a corner. You know, wow. there's so many there's there's so many things to get hooked on and wedged into. Um, they're they're. As I've, as I've identified the hot spots in a car, there are things that are absolutely unrecoverable come. So, so if, for example, if you get wedged with your ass on the floorboard of a car and, and bent in half where your feet are up, right, and, yeah. and butt has actually hit the uh, – has hit the, the floorboard and there's body weight on top of you. We call <laughs> we call that getting shuttlecocked, like a shuttlecock in badminton. You know, <laughs> that's a bad one, man. Because there, there's, there's no recovering from that position. Yeah. No that. So, you know, identifying that can't happen at all costs. You know, you're not getting out of that. That's that's going to be your coffin, you know, that you get wedged into Um, trying to, trying to get that same sense of urgency in open space. You absolutely can't do that without the specifics of a car. Wow. And it's ultra relevant. We we got it like Uber generation right now. Everyone's getting in cars with everybody all the time, every day, you know, Uh, and more guys are doing meets in cars and they're picking up dudes that really know, very well in mm-hmm. cars, you know, guys that are questionable and getting driven around and or getting in cars with guys that are questionable, you know, uh, you, you can certainly debate whether that's a good practice or not, but people do stuff like that to gather information to further, you know, strategic mean, you know, strategic, strategic end state. So, yeah. yeah. Heck yeah. No, that's solid. I love it. It's just it, a lot of this stuff. It just sounds like, uh, it's very practical and it's very hard to fake. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you can't really have a style. They, they, you know, I mean, it can be pretty, but once you turn the inoculation on and you get some force on force, yeah, you know, these techniques are going to work or they're not going to work. <laughs> you know, I love that. Cannot, that's good cannot, to go. Cannot fake it. And, yeah. and, and that's one of the things I do in coursework is I make everybody, everybody goes in front of everybody else, <clears throat> you know? So, not only do you go in front of everybody, so everybody gets to watch your performance, but you get to see everybody. So you see real quickly, okay, that doesn't work. Okay, that does work. Okay, that does work. That doesn't work. You get to, you experience three entangled fights in coursework, but you see another 97, you know, so you get to see the same thing real time over and over and over and over. You get just yeah. as much you know, third person as you do first person, in my opinion, maybe. Good. 
So you yeah. get you get a library of experiential information in your uh, to write absolutely. some good programming in there. Absolutely. Ah, that you know, and your brain's firing off when you're like, ah, that didn't work, or you're like, that worked. You know, I'm putting that in the pack. Okay. Absolutely. And that that experiential, that experiential learning modality, buddy, it's just uh there's it's so potent. Absolutely. It really is. It's so potent. Nothing nothing changes to mind, especially when you have a short course format like me, you know, two, three days at the most. I may never see these people again. I gotta get my biggest bang for the buck and I gotta really change things. What what, what does that look like? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the way to do it. Experientially facilitate, facilitate the process, sit back and, you know, kind of just say, OK, well, and I, and I have a somewhat Socratic approach, you okay. know, in that. Did that yeah. that work? You know, what do you think? What did you just learn? And it becomes pretty self-evident pretty quick. It does. And you're not convincing or telling. No, no, you, you that's like law to the brain. That experiential information is that's that's every the, now and then we'll get mm-hmm. one of those dudes that's so wedded to his kung fu that he just can't, <laughs> he just can't, he just can't. It's rare, it really is at this point in the game. It's rare, but every now and then we'll get we'll get a dude that's so wedded to his kung fu. <laughs> but, all right, yeah, you know, God bless you. <laughs> and, and, and and all the the rest of the class usually you can see the looks on their face. They're like, dude, bro. <laughs> yeah, like okay, all right. <laughs> you know, and, and he does. He shames himself out. You know, he shames mm-hmm. himself out of the. The, the shared experience and the journey that everybody else is on together, you know, he, uh, he, he loses, he loses group authenticity. He's not part of group anymore. Yeah. Lose that equity with the boys. And I think that that's the other good thing about it is you got to have a flexible ego. You got to be able to get in the middle of the ring. Got to be able to lose a little bit, get roughed up a little bit. I don't know. I think these things are so healthy. <laughs> you know, they're absolutely they're so healthy. And I tell people this all the time is look, what happens in ACQC, you know, these evolutions, they're not real fights, but they are honest experiences. Honest experiences. That's so good. That might even be the tagline. They are honest experiences, and I facilitate that experience. You decide what you want to do with it. Bottom line, you know. And more often than not, to give people credit, most people do right. Most people, most people absolutely, you know take the experience and the spirit that it's offered mm-hmm. and, and get better, man. I mean, I've had, you know, I'm not a life coach, but dude, I've had some people make some profound change after the coursework. I have, I have a, I have a guy that, that halved his body weight, went from 360 to 180. And this was like this about four years. And he just was like, this wasn't efficient. It like traumatized him. And, and he dealt with it. He dealt with the trauma. Well, he essentially was like, I need to change this. It was not an efficient fight weight. <laughs> That's Half his body weight. That's out. 360, 360 to 180. Four years. Heck sure yeah. Probably a strong 180, though. <laughs> he is. <laughs> He's a strong 180. He's a good kid. And thank God he lost that weight young. You know, he hadn't even hit 30 yet. So he'll, he'll okay. be okay. You know, but... um. Yeah, it was a it was it was a profound enough experience where he he decided to take charge of himself. Change it up. I think 
so many people are missing those experiences. You know, I, I, I just, it breaks my heart. Sometimes I see it look out, like even, you know, I'll go to the gym and, and uh, most of it's about finding out where I'm at that day. How strong am I today? What can I really bring to bear today? You know? And I, I feel like just, I wish more people would not run away from the physical disciplines that just let you know where you're at. <laughs> you know, you know, it's so and, and therapeutic. I, you know, I agree with you, man. You know, the, the physical disciplines and and tempering that with, you know, healthy, positive masculinity. Uh, that's yes. a that's a big thing with me. That's a big thing with me. I mean, I know yeah. you see the social media as far as dressing better, drinking better, eating better. You know, Love it. And, and I'm a big believer that, yeah, you should get badass. You should also, you should also be a gentleman. You should also know how to shine your shoes, you know, Thank you. things. That's a, that's a, that's a big part, I think, of uh, this, the whole this, package. Yeah, the whole package. I'm with you 100%. That's a whole nother podcast. We got to be careful because I'll run off on that, man. The world needs that. You know, they need to see that we're strong to serve. We're safe because we're strong. You're and we're not, strong around, we're, not, we're not walking around scared looking for a fucking fight. Yeah, trying to prove I'm ourselves. Ready for a fight. Right. I'll no no doubt, but I'm gonna enjoy my life. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know who you are, you settled it, you know, comfortable with yourself. I mean, I yeah. just men need these messages. They need they need to get these things handled, you know. Yeah. Uh this is important stuff. That's good. Uh and then puck, P-U-C. What do we got? Practical unarmed combat. So that is a um, usually a class that I will do in a place like Europe where they they can't train weapons and it's and it's everything I do without weapons. Yeah, just okay. a little acronym. Um, you know that's it's usually you know there there's there's empty hand versus knife, empty hand. There's gun disarms and things like that, but usually not not using weapons. All of that would be practical, unarmed. Mm-hmm. Solid. Yeah. Good to go. That's the whole spectrum. That's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, heck yeah. No, I love it. Tough to fake. <laughs> That's what I love about it. <laughs> you know, you make it look pretty if you want to, but then you got to do it and it better work. <laughs> and dude, I mean, I, I, as somebody, again, as somebody 52 years old, that, you know, we've got three kids in our gym that fight in the UFC. And I, heck yeah. when I, and when I'm home, when we're not under, you know, coronavirus, I'm I'm on the mat daily, usually getting my ass kicked by some kid that fights at in the UFC. At those levels, yeah. that's outstanding. Um, so it keeps me humble. It keeps me in the game. It keeps me remembering. Nobody wears a cape. Yeah. You know, nobody wears a cape. As soon as you as soon as you buy your own press, man, you're you're kind of fucked. Literally, that confirmation bias, that confirmation loop at the blindest spot in the world i uh and yeah no i I absolutely some of the things you said too that were resonating with me is you know just uh you know you said you're in your 50s still dangerous you know still good looking sharp i I love it this is what i want to be when i grow up yeah i'm trying to age gracefully i don't know that but i am trying to age gracefully and and know my place and Mm-hmm. You know, what I do well and don't do well. It's funny too, man. Age, some things you're less sure about than ever, and some things you're more sure about than ever. So wow. it's a it's an interesting journey. And I am there's no doubt I'm I am fortunate and and blessed to be where I'm at. I, I am I, I tell people this all the time, and I, I, I use the same language 
to end every course and tell guys, hey, look, uh, I want to let you know that I think of you guys as patrons, not students. And what I mean by that is you guys pay my bills. And, you know, with without people like you, you know, I'd probably still be a relatively small town cop, you know, and you've given me the opportunity I'd the, 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 to do what I love doing and make a living at it. So that's a, that's a huge gift. And I thank them for, uh, for giving me that gift and tell them, Hey, if I see you again, I'll try and do better than I did this past weekend. So, heck yeah, that's outstanding. And that humility, I think, especially in today's world where things aren't sacred, where there's like nothing sacred and there's like a, a lack of honor where there should be honor so often, I think that goes a long way, man. It's a currency you don't see too often. So. That you know, that's that's and I and I see a lot of dudes who are far more interested in being somebody mm. versus doing something. That's huge, and I think that's a pretty important distinction. And you you get a sense of that really quick. And again, I think the value of long form podcasts like this mm-hmm. that's probably the best way for people to get a a sense of who they're spending four fifty, five hundred, five fifty, six hundred dollars with, mm-hmm. you know, for training or uh, a training officer with an agency that's looking at, you know, picking up somebody for whatever. I think uh, watching stuff like this is just invaluable. I really did. Absolutely. So kudos, kudos to you for providing that service, buddy. Thank you. Hey, yeah. it's an honor to be able to even, you know, swerve around with y'all, man. <laughs> That's one of the benefits of this thing. And then bringing something to the, to the people who need it. Right? Guys, young dudes like you, man, movers and shakers, man, that are, uh, that are going to be running the world, you know, when we're all, you know, wearing diapers. He's like, yeah, don't get too excited. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, all right. We got our closing questions here. Uh, okay. Favorite quote, favorite mantra saying, Ooh. Yeah, this one's always, you know, you got so many and it's like they all go away. Favorite mantra. Uh, probably uh, it's simple, it's not easy. Yeah, like wisdom. It is it's usually simple, but not easy. I dig that. Yeah, that's probably my favorite one. Awesome. I'll write that down. Good to go. And then uh, how would you like to be remembered? Oof. Uh Wow. <laughs> you know, so it's funny too, man. This is a, when I turned 40, it was novel. When I turned 50, it was, it was not novel. <laughs> it, 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 it made me realize that, fuck, I've spent more time here than I've got left and I can't, I can't piss my time away. Wow. Um, so that's a real thing, man. That's a, that's a that's a thing psychologically. Talking with dudes like Noner, we no nobody's desperate or urgent, but there's a there's a very different understanding of time when you realize you spent more time than what you got left. So I think probably um, I'd hope that people remembered me that I I tried to make it better and tried to make them better than before they met me yeah no that's it that's 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 simple not easy that's what that is you know that, that's yeah, the thing I, that matters I, when you meet somebody i tried to lead i tried to lead a i i i sure tried to lead a a mostly selfless life mm-hmm. a most and i'm 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 a selfish motherfucker there's no doubt but i mean i i uh i i tried to lead a mostly 
selfless life and a, and, and a mostly service oriented life. I doubt yeah. That's so valuable. Yeah. That life is your number one thing to sack to, to serve with. Uh, that's good stuff. I love that. Yeah. You know, it's ultra valuable. Respect that. Um, habit that you'd say something you do in 24 hours uh, that people could, should adopt or look at that can make them better person, better protection, whatever it is. You know, I make it a habit of pausing before I move into new space. Okay. I do that. I make it a habit. I get up in the morning. I look around. I look at my phone. I get up. Dogs want to go out. It's real easy for me to, like, take a run right through the, you know, bedroom door, through the kitchen, to the porch. But I take a, I take a pause. I slow down. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an exercise in consistency and vigilance to do that, just to take, and it's not a long pause, it's just a step. And it helps me be consistent in a practice. It's, it's, a, it's an exercise in, in mindfulness. And it also is an exercise in memory, you know? So I, I think little stuff like that, super important. Just a minor exercise in discipline and mindfulness. Doesn't take a whole lot. Yeah. Requires equipment. It requires me to take a pause for a transition and move into different space. Take a pause. Take a pause, but get present. You know, realize where you're at, appreciate where you're I at. I don't like I don't like moving in a new space without evaluating that space. I don't. Mm-hmm. And it, it, that may be a quarter, that may be a half second, but there's a mental and emotional pause where I'm moving into new space. That's interesting. I mean, it's valuable. It's going to help you live your life more. I don't know. Just appreciate what you're doing. I feel like, where do you think that comes from? Was that something maybe on the street? Did you move into something that you didn't see coming and, or a lot? (laughs) All right. Good to go. Then you find yourself in a new world. You're like, Whoa, can I even get out of this? A lot. (laughs) Good to go. More than six occasions. Okay. A lot. <laughs> yeah, good to go. Good to know. I, I don't have any good, dude. The, any stories I have are not about anything I did well. There are mm-hmm. a ton of stories about things that I really screwed up. Mm-hmm. Lots That's of awesome. Things. Yeah. Well, it's good that you have those, you know, those arrows, you know, to, that you survived it and you can teach with, you can teach from that place of knowing, you know. Uh, screw it up I damn sure can do that it's <laughs> a strong place to make contributions from I can sure do that man Heck I can yeah. sure teach from, from a place of, of yeah I shouldn't have done that yeah that was stupid that was really screwed up that was totally reckless yeah I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> yeah. well you're making people better uh, for, for having the experience you know Definitely. Well, you know, that's, that's the important part is, you know, can I teach from my mistakes and that, that I can do. Thank you. I take what I do seriously. I don't take myself seriously. And and I'll be the first guy to say, you know what, this, I was young and full of myself and stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And this is what happened. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Especially in this digital age where people are like judging you. Like, I mean, me, I'm kind of like a jovial you know, I take what yeah. I do very seriously. Right. Work product is there, you know, but I, when that's just me, I like just to have fun with the guys, you know? Absolutely. Um, 
Uh, so I love that you make that distinction. Well, let's yeah. give it a go. Yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, thanks so much for hanging with us. Thank you, sir. For, for being on here with me. I can't wait for the Protector Symposium. Yeah, baby. You know, what you're going to bring to the world. And uh, it's going to be good, you know, helping these good people understand how to protect themselves. So uh, I, I'm honored to have you with us for this one. And um, yeah, where can people find you these days? What are you up to? Website and all that. So, uh, well, right now I'm sheltering in place like a quarantine podcast, right? And, uh, and I'm either running, swinging a kettlebell or drinking good Cuban rum as I am. Outstanding. Right <laughs> um, but if you go to uh, www.shevworks.com and right now I'm actually pushing a lot of classes forward that, are, that we're having to reschedule from, you know, it's so, you know, the world is so mercurial right now sure. constantly shifting and changing okay but we're having to stay very adaptable and being the adaptation that i am uh we're, we're moving things constantly so i'm having to shift some gov work i'm having to shift some uh, open enrollment stuff but if they go to shipworks they'll get the most current up-to-date www.shipworks.com the training schedule there is the most um up to date. There's a Facebook page, Shivworks and Shivworks Alumni. There's a YouTube channel, Shivworks Media Group that, again, people can see me teach, um, get a sense of me on ranges and in map rooms, you know, to, to make an informed decision. So there's there's a ton of, of video of me and the coursework that's out there for anybody that just does a little bit of research. So I'm, I'm very valuable that way. Outstanding. No, that's that's outstanding. There's so much info out there that people can yeah. find. I'm going to uh, attach all those links in the write-up so they can just okay. go on down below and click away and get lost in it for a little bit. So nice. that's good to go. Well, thank you once again, Craig. I appreciate you, man. It's, it's well, gonna thank be you for the opportunity, and I appreciate uh, you know being able to connect with your audience, man. Awesome. All right, brother. Appreciate it. All right, take care. Talk thank to you. Thank you, sir. Yo, if you're a private security professional wanting to take your game to the next level, go to executiveprotectiontrainingday.com to check out my personal success package for private security professionals. Check it out, executiveprotectiontrainingday.com. And remember, y'all, hard skills do save lives, but soft skills get you paid. Boom. Boom. And to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible, contributing to this brand, what we're doing here, making it so that I can bring better guests on, making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an America a safer place. Do whatever you can, contribute whatever you can, because it makes all of these things possible. Thanks for those contributions. Yo, and before we go, you know I got a shout out to the sponsors, starting out with Primary Weapon Systems, PWS. They truly are the evolution of the rifle. Use Byron for 10% off. Grayman and Company, the most comfortable tactical suits in the game. Use Byron for 10% off with them. Ballistic Theory. You're going to start seeing a lot of stuff with me in Ballistic Theory because they got good ammo for good prices. Use Byron for my discount with those guys as well. Last but not least, Executive Protection Institute. Hey, go check them out and get your executive protection education on. Until the next podcast, this is Byron Rogers, protected by nature and by trade. Out. Boom.